chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you turn there, let me just say that I'm so glad to be back with you after being out the last two weeks. I'm glad to be back in this country after traveling in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I see my travel companion, David Gordon, over here all the way to your right, my left, um, is here with us today. Uh, he can tell you some stories. If you don't know him, you should get to know him. I enjoyed spending the last two weeks with him. If you wondered how I got into a baseball uniform, that man right there is responsible for that, that we'll call incarnational ministry, right? So thank you, David, for a great time. And uh, I'm glad to be back here. I'm glad to be here if you've been with us the month of February, and I haven't been here every week, but if you have, then you know our emphasis this month has been on outreach and evangelism. And uh, we've been talking about that. Uh, Each sermon this month has had that theme, including mine, all the way back on February the 2nd. Uh, We had a seminar yesterday that you've already heard about in our worship service. Um, There was a gospel meditation during that time that Sky Stewart led that I thought was outstanding that I'll be referring to today that really prepared our hearts and helped us think about why we want to reach out. And then Michael Cody did a good job leading a discussion of transitioning conversations that tend to kind of be light and trite. How do we transition them to talk about spiritual things? And we'll recap that tonight. Night at 6, and I hope you'll plan to come back as Lee uh, and Whitney Mayhall talk to us tonight about inviting folks into ongoing spiritual conversations and how we can do that. You heard Jessica Blevins talk about folks not just sharing with her one time, but really sticking with her and continuing to have an ongoing dialogue. And so we'll be talking about that tonight at 6, and I hope you'll plan to join us then. What I want to do for us this morning is two things. First, I want to put what we're in a larger context, okay? You know, I want us to see the big picture and how this individual thing of outreach and evangelism, how it fits in, and then I want to invite you to join us tonight. I know I've already done that, but I will do that again because I think this is an important thing in the life of our church and where God has us uh, next as we have gotten our house in order and are continuing to do so, but it is time to move out and to invite other people into relationship with Jesus. So first, let me start with our context, where we live in If you have the handout, there's sort of an outline that sort of follows the sermon. And if you look on the back and think somebody wrote on yours, um, I did that. If it looks like some doodling on the back of a napkin, that's basically what it is. I've had a lot of time on planes and buses and in hotel rooms, and, and I've been working on this little doodle right here. And I want to share it with you as we think about putting what we're talking about in its proper context. How does it fit? Why is this something we would even care about? And so if you look all the way over here to this side of the page, where we live, what is our context? What what time is it in history? And you see the context that I have there. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We've learned here at Redeemer Church that all of biblical history from cover to cover, and indeed all of human history, can be summarized by those four things. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That God created all things good uh, by the power of his word in the space of six days. And then there was a fall, right? We don't live in the perfection of Eden anymore. 
there was a fall. Man, the first man and the first woman did not live like God designed us to live in the garden. And so as a result, shame and fear and blame and hatred and pain and decay and death all came into the world. And that's why the world we live in is broken and messed up. But God is committed to his creation. You see that third thing there is redemption. Jesus, by his perfect life and sacrificial death, has won for us and for this world redemption. Uh, He's making all things new. He's putting things back the way they were before. And so you see we're moving toward restoration. A day will come when Jesus will return and finish that work of making all things right. So there will be no more crying or death or pain uh, because he will push back the effects of the fall and make all things new. And so where we live, that little bracket that I have there... That's where we live. After the cross, we live on this side of the cross. Jesus has won a redemption. God is in the process of making all things new. And so you see, I wrote there, the kingdom of God is now breaking into the kingdom of this world. Jesus taught us to pray that. If you'll recall in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray, what, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God is in the process of that happening, of, of, of working that out. And that's really who we are as the church, if you follow the arrow around there. You see, for a long time I've been asking, what is the mission of the church? What is it we need to be focused on doing? And that's a good question to ask. I think the leader of any organization should be asking, what is the purpose for our existence? And then measuring, are we living up to that, right? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? But as I really thought about that more and more, I became convicted about that question. Because as I thought about it more and more, it occurred to me that it's not as if God has saved us and just needs to give us something to do until he takes us on to heaven. And I'm supposed to discern that from the scripture. That's, that's not as much of what is going on. Um, as it is this, it's not that God has a mission for his people. It's that God has a people for his mission. And here's what I mean by turning that around. God is on a mission. His kingdom is now breaking into the kingdom of this world. He is pushing back the effects of the fall. And and the church, who we are, we're God's vehicle for his kingdom to break into this world, right? You see that right next to it? That is not clip art. I actually drew that myself, right? I'll sign yours at the back door if you want me to, right? But we are God's vehicle for his kingdom breaking. You heard Jessica talking about that clearly this morning. These women, I don't want to elevate them, but God was using them. Jesus was in them, reaching out to me, loving me through them, drawing me to himself. And that's what the church is. We are literally the hands and feet of Christ. The Bible says that he is our head, that we are his body. Um, Sky yesterday in the devotion used a great illustration. He said, you know, we're the glove, but the Holy Spirit is the hand inside of us, animating us, strengthening us, directing us. And I think that's right. I think that's who we are as the church. So what is it we do? If you follow this on around here, what we do, this really came out of this act series that we had this fall. 
if you will recall, we were really focused on the Holy Spirit and what are we supposed to think about him. And what we saw is there was this ebb and this flow to the Spirit, right? We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we said, yes, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. And that we are filled with the Spirit. But then we saw this pattern that these people who were filled with the Spirit would go and do things. And then they'd be filled with the Spirit again. And then they would go and they would serve in the community. And they would come back together over the Word and prayer. And they would be filled with the Spirit again. And so we said... The Holy Spirit is like fuel that we want to continually being filled with the Spirit, just like we would fill our car up with gas. And the pattern we saw in Acts, you see it here, is that the people would gather and then they would scatter. That's why I have those lines going like that. They would gather and scatter. And they would gather under biblical leadership, which if you go back and listen to the January sermons, that's what all of those were about, right? What biblical leadership is. And we ordained uh, some new leaders for our church. So we gather under biblical leadership for worship, teaching, and fellowship. And I've defined all those things according to the scripture, but spared you the definition on this little drawing here. So you can thank me for that. But we saw this pattern in Acts that as they gathered under biblical leadership for worship and teaching and fellowship, that they would be filled with the Spirit again. And as they were filled with the Spirit, then they were equipped to scatter. And they would go out, and then they would come back together and be filled with the Spirit again as they did these things. And when they scattered, this boldness in preaching the Word came from being filled with the Spirit. And so February 2nd was the first sermon in this series. And I said when we scattered, we scattered for multiplication and dominion, right? We saw that in Genesis chapter 1. That that's what God made us to do, to multiply images of God over the earth and dominion, to rule whatever area God puts us in charge of for his glory. And so that's what we do when we scatter. Multiplication is evangelism and discipleship, right? We can't just reproduce people because people don't naturally follow God anymore. They have to be converted in evangelism and taught in discipleship. And so that's really what happens when we go out. Evangelism and discipleship, bring all areas into Christ's rule, gather together again for worship, teaching, and fellowship to be reminded what that looks like to be filled with the Spirit so that we go out again. And as we do those things, as we scatter, and people, more and more people come to know the Lord, and as we bring all areas of life under the rule and reign of Christ, come back around here. That's how the kingdom of God breaks into the kingdom of this world. So that's what this handout is, and it kind of shows where evangelism and discipleship fits in to who we are and what we're supposed to do, but more importantly, what God is doing in the world, right? So that's sort of the big picture, right? So let's look at some details now as we come to the text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I talked about that image of Christ being the head and we're his body. We talked about our being the means he uses, the vehicle he uses. Sky used the analogy, the hand and the glove with the spirit in us. Here Paul is going to use another image of who we are in Christ in verse 20. He's going to talk about us being Christ's ambassadors. Okay, So be listening for that as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse 14. Hear now God's word. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would teach us now what it means to be your ambassadors. You know where we are, what our concerns are, what is in our heart. And so I pray that you would come and do your work in us and that you would be pleased to do that even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There in verse 20, Paul refers to us as Christ's ambassadors. And I want us to camp out there as we think a little bit this morning about what it means, who we are and what we're to do as the people of God. And here we get this image of being Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're Christ's ambassadors? Well, let's think about it purely in a political sense. Just in our world, as we have ambassadors between governments, Uh, Ambassadors have been in the news a lot lately. Let's just think about what that means in the world, because Paul borrowed this term from governments in the world. And then think about the implications that has for us as the people of God. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Let's just imagine you were made the ambassador from the United States to, and let's pick a fictitious country so that we don't get caught up in the country. Let's just say maybe Genovia, right? And if you're thinking to yourself, I'm pretty sure that's a real place because they have pears there and it's close to France and Spain, then I would tell you that Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway are fictitious royalty and that that's just a a place that was created uh, by Disney in the movie Princess Diaries. So Genovia, let's say that you are a U.S. ambassador to Genovia. What, What would that mean for you? Where would you live? If you were the U.S. ambassador to Genovia, Genovia, right? If you're going to represent the United States' interest in that place, then you would need to live in Genovia. You would need to learn the language and the customs and the culture so that you can represent the interest of the United States really well within that culture, right? You would be there to explain and to represent the United States who we are and what we do. But you wouldn't be able to live in the United States and do that job. right? You would have to live in Genovia. You would have to be there amongst the people. You would have to be there so that you know how best to communicate the interests of the United States in that place. You wouldn't be able to isolate yourself from Genovians. You would have to become 
part of them and live among them. But you would not able you would not be able to get so comfortable in Genovia that you preferred to be there over the United States. Your loyalty and your commitment must remain to the United States or you wouldn't be able to do your job of representing the interests of the United States in Genovia. All right, is that a pretty fair description of what an ambassador is? Now think about being Christ's ambassador. If we are ambassadors for Christ, that means we don't live in heaven Right? Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and has all authority. But that's why he uses us, because we're in this place, right? As his ambassadors. He has sent us here to represent his interest in this place, in the world. And what we're to do is to learn the language and the customs and the culture so that we can represent the interests of heaven, the, the interests of Christ Jesus, well in this world where we live. We can't live in heaven or can't live all of our lives inside the church and do this job. I grew up in a church where there was something every night of the week except for Friday nights because that was high school football. But other than that... There was something every night of the week at the church that I grew up in. And we have intentionally, as a leadership, said we are not going to have that kind of programming here. Because part of our job is to scatter. We don't gather all the time. Part of our job is to be in the world, learning the language, learning the customs, being present there so that we represent the interests of Christ so that we can explain who he is and why he does what he does in a way that the people around us can understand because we have learned what their life is like. And so we've learned to communicate with them. We can't isolate ourselves from the world and be ambassadors for Christ. However, let's turn that corner like we did with the ambassador, right? We can't get so comfortable in the world that we prefer the world over Christ and his church. Our loyalty and our commitment must remain with King Jesus, or we cannot do our job as an ambassador of representing his interests in the world. That's why it's important that we have this pattern of gathering and scattering. We gather like we are today to be reminded that King Jesus is the king, that he calls us to worship him. We sing his praises. We sing that he is sovereign. We're reminded, oh yeah, I thought that God had forgotten about me. But no, we, we sing, you've not forgotten us. We're reminded of what his plan, we're reminded who he is and who we are as we gather together. And that empowers us and equips us to scatter. I hope you know that as a member of Redeemer Church, that when you leave here, your job is not done, right? We don't just check off the box and say, well, I've been to church this week and now I go do something. No, as members of the church of the Lord Jesus we gather to be reminded of who he is and who we are and to be equipped in order to scatter, in order to be in the world, but not of it, as Jesus will pray to his heavenly Father. That's what our job is. That's what we're called to do. That's one of the pictures the Bible gives us as to who we are. 
And, and look at what it says here, that we're Christ's ambassadors in verse 20, as though God were making his appeal through us. That God works through us, that he speaks to people through us. And then he, Paul says, we implore you. That means we beg you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And there's a statement of the gospel in verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in chapter 6 and verse 1 it says we are God's fellow workers. That we're working with him to push back the effects of the fall and to bring all areas of life under his rule and reign so that his kingdom breaks into the kingdom of this world. Now being Christ's ambassador is a big deal. This is really important. Let me just give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, we've touched on already, it's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. What Jesus did on the earth is now our mission. He says that very clearly when he's praying to his father in John chapter 17 and verse 18, he prays, as you sent me into the world... So I now send them into the world. And in John chapter 20 and verse 21, the resurrected Christ who appears to the disciples in the upper room, he says to them, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So what Jesus did in his physical body, we now do as his spiritual body. Christ is our head in heaven, and we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet, and we physically do the work that our head tells us to do. Man, who better to work for than King Jesus? He is so loving. He is so gracious. And I want you to notice here that this isn't just the job of a few. Sometimes we think, well, we'll get a good pastor and he can do this work. We'll get some good leaders in the church and they will do this work. We heard a statistic this weekend that 5% of people in the church are actually active in sharing their faith. Wow. You know, I always think, well, that must be some other churches out there besides ours. Surely our percentage is higher, Right. But notice here that it's not just a few people in the church. All who are a new creation in Christ have this ministry. Do you see that in verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciling people to God and the world to how God intended it to be this is the job given to all of us if we're made new in Christ. Notice it's not even a command, go do this. He just says, this is what we do as those transformed by Jesus, as those who have received his love. You heard it in the testimony from just today that she was so moved by his love for her that she now wants to share that with other people. She wants other people to experience the glories that she's found in Christ. She wants other people to, to experience that freedom that she has tasted in Christ. And that's what Paul says in verse 14. Do you see that? They're actually talking to Paul here, and they're like, Paul, you're crazy because you've been going out to all these hard places, and you like get beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and snake bit, and all these things are going on. You're out of your mind. And Paul's answer is there in verse 14. Why does he do what he do? Because Christ's love compels us. 
compel, if you're not familiar with that word, it, it means that he, Christ's love drives us. It, it overpowers us. When I see how Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve it, when I was a rebel, when I had a hard heart, when I was far from him, yet he continued to pursue me. And he's taken away my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh. And I'm then that makes that drives me. That overpowers me. I can't help but want to see other people experience what I have experienced. Because of Christ's great love for us, we can't help but love him back, right? Now what first John four says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And then we begin to love who and what he loves and have a heart for those things. And so our love for Christ leads us to a true love for the lost. I remember growing up in a church that Tuesday night was visitation night. And we did really good training. I learned the Roman road to salvation, which I still use with people now. I learned the evangelism explosion questions. I learned the four spiritual laws. I learned all these different ways to share my faith. And that's good. I'm grateful for those things. But I must tell you, in my own heart, my motive, it was not Christ's love that compelled me. I witnessed so that God would love me and be happy with me, right? I didn't really want to do it. But I knew it was something he wanted that was important to him. So I would go do it so he would love me and be happy with me. Now, let me ask you this question. If that's your motivation for sharing your faith, I hate doing this, but I'm doing it because God wants me to. How do you think your, your attitude is toward lost people if that's what motivates you? Well, it's not very good, right? I'm earning God's favor by coming here amongst you people, subtext who are less than I am, to share this thing that I don't really want to share, but I'm here doing it. Because I'm earning God's favor. Oh, it's just yucky to even think about that, right? When we realize that we're the undeserving one, right? That God loves us not because of anything good in us, because of what, but because of what Jesus has done. And that I don't deserve his love or his grace, in any way, that's the definition of grace, right? It's God's unmerited favor, that we don't deserve it, that we don't earn it. And when I realize that I'm the undeserving one, that God has showered love on me, even though I could never earn it or deserve it, then when we share with someone who is hostile to God, we are looking in the eye of someone who is just like us. Somebody who rebels against God, just like we have. Somebody who is undeserving of God's love, just like we are. And we can begin to love lost people because they're just like us. And we long to see them experience the love of Christ as we have. Think about it. If, if we're a new creation in Christ... And we have died to ourselves, which is what verse 14 says. And Christ lives in us by his spirit. Think about that. If Christ lives in us by his spirit, if that's what animates us is the spirit of Christ, this is the spirit of the one who did what? Left the comfort of heaven where he was worshipped and adored. Came here to earth. 
I mean, discomfort is mild, right? To be mistreated, to be misunderstood, to be killed, giving his life for us so that we can have a relationship, so that we can be reconciled to God. If his spirit lives in us, how can we not be a people who leave our comfort and face hard things to tell people who don't deserve it the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done? There's a second thing I think is important. Yes, it's a continuation of the ministry of Jesus, but telling other people how they can have eternal life has eternal significance. I've been convicted about this lately, maybe because I was out of the country for a while. There are certain things you miss. You know, electricity will just go out in the middle of the day. Other people, it's not a big deal. It happens all the time. Here, if the electricity went out once a day, we would be up in arms, right, demanding that it be fixed. You know, I took my trash out to the street this week, and people just come and pick it up and take it and dispose of it the right way. And we see the effects in other places of sanitation that's not in place and just how hard we take so many blessings for granted. And sometimes when we get out of our context, we can think a little more clearly. And I was just thinking, I get focused on so many things that don't really matter long term. Think about that. If we're talking about eternity, 10,000 years from now is not a long time when you're talking about eternity, right? 10,000 years from now, do you think anybody's going to care what kind of car you drove? How many square feet are in your house? Who won a college basketball game on Saturday in February? We're not talking about March Madness. We're talking about February, right? And we get so worked up about these things that, are, that really don't make a difference in eternity. They don't really make a difference in the long term. I won't be able to remember it in 10 years, let alone 10,000. But when we tell others how they can have eternal life, it has eternal significance. If just one person is in heaven because you shared with them, then you've made a difference for all eternity. I'm so thankful on our trip. There were at least 11 folks that I got to witness praying to receive Christ, and I'm so thankful for that. There were another 13 who indicated that they were interested, and we gave their information to churches there locally who will follow up with them. And I'm convinced that, that we will see some of those folks in heaven throughout all eternity because of the time that we took in the Dominican Republic and the time that we spent with them. But I've been convicted even about that. Because I don't talk to people here like I talk to people there. We don't have to go overseas to tell people about Jesus. Who has God put in your life that you could talk to about Jesus? One of the things we did at the beginning of the seminar yesterday was to just prayerfully list about three folks that God's put in our life that we're fairly certain don't know Jesus, but we would love for to see them come to know him and to become a follower of Jesus. And we prayed for those folks and then had those folks in mind as we were learning these different skills that we wanted to use. And I think that's a valuable exercise. And so I'd ask you, who has God put in your life for you to tell about Jesus? Because when we become believers, when we become followers of Jesus, then we become Christ's ambassadors. We become God's messengers. And God has given you a message or a story to tell other people. 
You may not feel like you have anything to share, but that is just untrue, right? I mean, anytime God has done something in our life, anytime we've experienced something that God has done, God can use that to bring other people into his family. Your testimony is the story of how God made a difference in your life. You heard Jessica give one this morning. I told the folks on our trip to the Dominican Republic that my experience with testimonies was everybody wants to hear a testimony, but nobody wants to give one, right? God uses those. Alex Ruggles pointed out yesterday that that he believed that God uses that even more than my sermons. Hold on now. But I think that's true. A lot of times when I share with people, it's like, well, you're a preacher. You get paid to say that, right? It's like what you're supposed to say, right? I mean, what else are you going to say? Like I'm a salesman trying to sell them something. But when you tell your story, you don't get paid to do that. You have more credibility like like a satisfied customer who's just passing on this information to them. You may not be a biblical scholar or have all the answers that people may ask, but you do know your own life and your own experience, and you can tell your story. And it's hard for people to argue with your personal experience. If they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, then that's great. You say, I don't know. Let's get together again and talk. That's what we're talking about tonight is how to have ongoing spiritual dialogue because most people don't accept Christ the first time they hear the gospel. So don't let that bother you. But I want you to know that we have more than just our testimony of salvation. We really have a story for every experience God has helped us through. Don't we? What's God taught you in hard times? What's he he taught you in success? What's he taught you in pain or in sorrow? What has he taught you in waiting? What's he taught you in marriage? What's he taught you in having kids? What's he taught you in having teenage kids? Because that's different, right? What's he taught you in being single? What's he taught you in, in infertility? What's he taught you in addiction? What's he taught you as you've struggled with depression or anxiety or pornography? What's God taught you in these difficult things that we face? One of the stories I tell a lot is the gospel in a red recliner. When I broke my leg and had to sit down for weeks, did you know I broke my leg on a Thursday and they still had church here on Sunday? God evidently can work without us. It's a valuable lesson. And I learned lots of things in that red recliner I'd love to tell you about sometime. But you know, God just doesn't use our salvation experience or just bad experiences he's helped us through. He uses our passions. If you love cars, if you love horses, if you love working out, God can use those things as he puts people in your life. In the Dominican Republic, he used baseball, right? We're down there playing ball with people. And it opened a door to the gospel. it, It shocked me, the respect that these folks had For these guys that are world-class athletes, not me, right? I'm keeping the scorebook. But these guys who are world-class athletes, how God opened, used that to open the door. And these guys are just, they love playing ball, and they're using that for God's glory. Let's do some thinking about this. Let's do some praying about it. Maybe you're not trained in what to say. 
Hey, listen, that, that's why we're doing this seminar, right? First Peter 3 and verse 15 tells us, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Are you prepared to do that? We want you to be here. We have a great opportunity in this community to see God's kingdom break into this world in this place. Maybe in your home, in your workplace, in the lives of the people where we live and move and have our being. Where your kids play baseball. You're going to be talking to people out there at the field. Sitting in the dance class waiting room, right? Around the water cooler in the office. We want you to be prepared and equipped for that. And so I pray that you'll come back and you'll join us tonight at 6 as we eat pizza, we have child care, and we talk about how we can learn to do this better. Let's thank God for what he's doing in this place and ask him to continue to work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you were doing. You were on the move. You were on a mission. And I thank you so much that you dignify us, that we can be your fellow workers in this. And I use that term lightly, but Father, you use that in your word right here in chapter 6 and verse 1, that we're your fellow workers. Thank you for giving us that honor. I pray that you would give us a desire to do this, that you would equip us to do this, and that you'd be pleased to use us so that... There are men and women in heaven because of us telling about the glories of how you have worked in our life. Please come and do that in this place, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.